All right, uh, let's start with a little brain lesson today, okay? I'm going to put an image up here on the screen. This is a picture, this is actually an image of someone's brain at rest. So we have here that this moment of maybe solitude, of relaxing, of just kind of sitting, hanging out. Maybe you know, this is someone who's, who's at the ocean just watching the waves come in over and over again. This is what our brains look like when we are at rest. Now, what do they look like when we're in the midst of pleasure? Here's another image. This is what our brains look like when we are in the midst of pleasure. As you can tell, it is firing on all cylinders. What is this pleasure? It can be any kind of pleasure. It can be laughter. It can be eating your favorite desserts. It can be out on a date. But this is what our brains look like when we are in the midst of pleasure. Now, some people say that when we're in the midst of pleasure, that areas of logic and thinking in our brain either slow down or to entirely shut down. Okay? And some of you are like, oh, that explains a lot about my time in college, right? While our areas of logic and thinking may shut down or again slow down, those areas that are related to emotions and feelings and sensations and pleasure, they actually get drenched in chemicals. Endorphins, uh, serotonin, oxytocin, and, and dopamine specifically just kind of inundate our, our brains. And when those, those chemicals, when they, they hit the pleasure center that's with inside a, of our head, it lights up like we see here on the picture, and then it makes us crave a repeat of that pleasure. And as we crave these pleasures more and more, we find that in our brains, they begin to build these circuitries inside of our brains, and, and we always want more and more because now we have these connections that say, I need more pleasure. Now, some of you probably wonder, what does my brain look like while Chad's up, up here preaching? So this is probably what many of your brains look like. It's the NFC East standings, and uh, this was put together before Thursday, so sorry, Commander fans. I wasn't able to put your second win for that barn burner of a game that everybody watched on Thursday night. Anyway, today we continue our series called Gods at War, and if you haven't been here, this series is about the little G gods in our life, that we have idols in our life that have become more important to us, and we worship them more than we worship God. The very first week, we, we used this particular quote from a guy named Jack Taylor. Taylor said, an idol is something you have to check with before you say yes to God. When we talk about the gods of pleasure in our life, there are gods of pleasure in our life that we check in many, many times before we say yes to God. Now, I understand when we're talking about pleasure, uh, sometimes we, we can think about this in the wrong way. Pleasure can be good, right? I, I think God created pleasure. Pleasure can be things that are very healthy for us. And yet at the same time, these things that we find pleasurable that can be good for us can become toxic. For instance, think about laughter. Laughter can be good, but do we use it at the expense of someone else? Or think about the internet. The internet can be good, but do we use it for our own digital sexual intimacy? Money can be good, but do we use it as the thing that we only live for in our life? A beer can be good, but do we use it to numb our pain? Sex can be good, but do we use it for the approval from other people? See, we can keep going on with this list, and we can say, hey, these are things in life that are really, really good, and yet they can be very toxic to who we are. And what we find is that over time, we've allowed these good things to become that 
they've become toxic. They have become the gods that we worship in our life. So over the next few moments, we're going to talk about these gods of pleasure. And to do this, I, I want to actually take us back to the book of Exodus. Uh, there's an event in the life of Moses and the Israelites. The Israelites have just come out of slavery. Uh, God has led them from Egypt out into the wilderness. This has been about three months have passed. They're at this place called Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up onto this mountain. And then Moses has been gone for about 40 days and 40 nights. And so we read this in Exodus chapter 32, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Uh, we find Aaron here. Aaron has been put in charge because Moses is, is gone and the people are waiting for Moses to come back to them. But again, this has been 40 days and 40 nights. So they get to this place just saying, the dude's dead, right? He's left us. He's gone. He's not coming back. Well, here's what happens in verse 2. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Israelites are fed up with Moses. They're fed up with his God. Again, apparently Moses isn't coming back, and this God that they're supposed to be following doesn't seem to be doing anything. And basically they go to Aaron, and what do they do? They complain to Aaron. And we find out really quick what kind of leader Aaron is. He's not a very good leader, right? What is he? He's a people pleaser. And so, like, we want this God to worship. We, we need something that we can focus on, that we can love, that we can kind of hold on to. And Aaron's like, sure, no problem at all. Bring me all your gold rings, and I'll take care of this. And so, as we read here, that's exactly what the people do. He melts all this gold down, and then he molds it. Now, we know this as the story of the golden calf. The word calf that's used here is not the correct um, translation of the Hebrew. It's actually young bull. So he, he, he takes this gold, he melts it, and he molds it into this image of this, this young bull. They create an idol to worship. But why does Aaron do this for the Israelites? Look at verse 4. It says, when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So why are they doing all this? They're looking for pleasure. They're looking for something to bring them pleasure. They have been in the desert for three months they have been wandering in this desert for three months. They are tired. They are worn out. They are bored. And they want to fire up the pleasure center in their brain. And so they ask Aaron to do this for them. And he creates this idol. And as you read here, it says, Aaron saw how excited the people were for this. And so again, this pleasure center is being lit up and they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this festival. And they actually get up early the next morning for this festival. And as we read here, we see some common worship elements back in those days, the peace offering and, and the burnt offerings taking place. And at the very end, we read this one little phrase. It says, pagan revelry. I'm not sure how to best put this, but the Hebrew there is actually 
drunken orgies. That's what ended up happening on that day for the Israelites, which leaves us with a ton of questions. What would make this group, who three months earlier, God had just saved them from slavery, out of hundreds of years of slavery, what would make this group want to find these other gods to worship? Why would they do that? And why would they, they choose to live this out in this way, in this moment? Instead, what if God had called them to do? What's going on with them? Well, Paul's here in Exodus, and then I want you to fast forward a couple hundred years to what we call the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 106, verses 19 through 20, we read this. It said, the people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. Here's the writer of this particular song, and they are, again, 100 years beyond this, and they're writing back to what we just read in Exodus chapter 32. That's what they're referring back to, and they're saying, what were these people doing? Why were they doing this? Why were they trading in God for this, this bull? All right, stay there, and then I want you to move to Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this to the Christians in Rome, verse 24 and 25. says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did violently grating things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. The question is, what's the connection here between this, this golden young bull that has been created by Moses, the songwriter that writes about this in Psalms, and then what we find here in the book of, of Romans? There's a word that's common, specifically in Psalm and Romans. We'll see this up on the screen. It's the word traded. It's a huge, huge word for us to hold on to, to remember. Now, if you're a sports lover, you understand trades. You probably are familiar with some of the most um, uh, infamous trades, if you will. One of them in the sport of baseball happened back in 1919. The Boston Red Sox had some pretty good teams, won some championships. And then uh, in 1919, they had this pitcher. His name was Babe Ruth. And they're like, ah, he's not that good. We're going to trade him to the Yankees. So the Yankees get him and win all of these World Series with Babe Ruth there. And again, if you're a Red Sox fan, you know that you don't win another World Series till 2004. It's known as the curse of the Bambino. Uh, in football, probably the best trade that's ever been made was when the Dallas Cowboys traded Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings. And after they did that, they won three championships, right? Remember those days? Those were the good old days. And some of you commanders are like, ah, oh, yeah, man, it's been forever. Commander fans, how long has it been since you won a championship? 1992, okay? Hold on to that. None of us really have anything that we should be proud of as football fans, right? <laughs> Here's the deal. This is what we do all the time. We trade what is good for what's toxic. And this is something that we do in our life consistently. Now, we try not to, right? We say, today, I'm not going to take that drink. Today, I'm not going to go on that website. Today, I'm not going to fill in the blank, whatever it may be for you. But we trade in these things that are good, and they become toxic. Now, maybe we can make it for a day, maybe a couple of days, maybe for a week. But we keep trading it in, don't we? 
We, we keep coming back to it over and over again. It's like that pleasure center in our brain is just needing and desires those, those chemicals and those emotions and those feelings. And, and we'll give up logic and thinking just to, to have our pleasure center feel like it should feel. And so we give up what's good for those things that are toxic. And in the end, the reality is it's killing us. It's killing our relationships. It's killing our marriages. It's killing our finances. It's killing the work that we do. It's killing our bodies. It's killing our soul. Maybe let me put it this way. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the documentary, 100-Foot Wave. It was an HBO uh, documentary came out, I think, a year or two ago. And it's about this group of surfers who traveled all over the world, and they're, they're trying to, to find and ride the largest waves that they, they can find. And they find some of the largest waves in a place called Nazir, Portugal. And they only happen certain times throughout the year. But these waves are absolutely huge. Kind of give you an idea of what the difference is between what a surfer looks like and these waves. There's a surfer on one of those waves, and that's a legit picture, okay? That's not a made-up picture. That is a, a legit picture picture. What they're trying to do is be the first person to ride a 100-foot wave. Now, nobody's done that yet. Uh, I think the, the record right now happened about two years ago in 2020. I think someone uh, rode a, an 80-foot wave, which terrifies me and hopefully it terrifies you too. But as you kind of look at a picture like that, what, what are these surfers doing? Why is this so important to them? It's all about the activation of their pleasure center. This is what drives them. This is what they want to do. And they do this at the detriment of their own health to the point of they're willing to potentially die so that they can ride that one wave. And if you watch this documentary and if you kind of listen to the dialogue, you can pretty much tell that, that this, for those surfers, this is their God of pleasure. This is a thing that may be good in some ways, but has become toxic to them. And, and they just want to ride this, this one wave. When I think about that documentary and I think about these surfers and, and, and what they do, it's very much like us with our gods of pleasure too. That every day we're kind of looking for that chemical hit to take place in our own lives. That, that for us, we, we, wanna, we want these emotions and these, these feelings that will set off our, our pleasure center. And so we're not any different than those surfers. Every day, we're looking for this next wave to ride. We, we want to get on that next wave, and we want to kind of feel those emotions, and we want to feel those sensations for whatever that God of pleasure may be for us. And we, we jump on that wave, but what do we know about waves? They come crashing down every single time. Like, waves are not eternally uh, in motion. They, they die out. They hit the shoreline, and they crash. And what do these surfers do? They try to go find the next wave to ride. Why? Pleasure center is something they're trying to stimulate. They, they want those emotions and feelings. You know what we do when it comes to our gods of pleasure? We keep jumping on those waves. And we jump on the wave, and we know it's going to crash. But when it crashes and our life feels like it's falling apart, do we stop there? Do we try to fix it? No, so often we just jump back on another wave. We just go back out looking for another wave to ride so we can feel those feelings once again. And so for many of us, it becomes this consistent rhythm that we find our lives in. And we just never, ever get off of it. So how do we deal with that then? 
Can, can we break that rhythm? Can we, can we stop trying to find those waves in our life that we want to jump on and we want to ride, even though we, they're going to crash every single time, but we keep coming back to them? What can we do? Well, I want to share with you for the rest of our time this morning, these four next steps. Um, some of you, this might be the order you need to take. For others, you might pick one or two. Um, maybe you use all of them in just kind of a different order, but I, I think these are pretty important, and there's many others, but I, I think these are important when it comes to dealing with the gods of pleasure in our life. Here's the first one. It's identifying what your God of pleasure is. I got to admit to you, it kind of cracked up during this series because in our bumper, I don't know if you notice this, when it comes to the word pleasure, it shows somebody playing golf, right? You think the Loudoun County school board meetings and parents and families and people are angry and, and crazy. You've never met golfers that get upset at you because you put uh, somebody playing golf up there, right? I'm totally kidding. They're not really that mad, but they give me grief every single week. Like, why do you have golf up there? What's the problem with golf? Why do you want to play golf? Why is golf? A... So anyway, seriously, what's your God of pleasure? What, what is that thing in your life that you go to and say, I need to ask permission from you before I can say yes to God? Every single one of us, when you see that question, what is your God of pleasure? I bet you didn't even have to think about that. You knew. You knew what the thing is that you jump on that wave for all the time. You knew the thing that, that crashes in your life. You knew what it was. It just came right into to your mind, which is good. Because that's really the best starting point we can have by identifying what those pleasures are in our life that have become, this, this may have been good, but have become toxic to us. I had planned on spending quite a bit of time today talking about intimacy, because I know when we hear that word pleasure, we don't think about golf, right? We, well, we think about intimacy. We, we think about sex. And, uh, and I also think that when we, we talk about that word so often, especially in the church world, we kind of said, well, this is a societal issue now. This is in our culture now. Can I offer you um, an idea? Would you do me a favor and go back and read the Bible? Because you go back and read the Bible, do you understand that so often when there are tensions and problems and relational issues and struggles with God, almost every single time sex is a part of this. Like this isn't something new. We, we as Christians, want to feel like it is, but it's not. It's been around since the beginning of time. That this is a God of pleasure that so many people have struggled with since the beginning of time. And we find in Scripture, in fact, if you go to the New Testament, every time you find the word idolatry, do you know what else you're going to find in that sentence? Sexual pleasure. This isn't new. And yet I know for many people, the God of pleasure when it comes to something like sex is the one that we, we deal with more than anything else. And, and whatever realm you want to talk about there, whatever realm may be for you, but I know this is one of the gods of pleasure we struggle with more than any other. And you know what? Sex is meant to be good. It's, it's, it's this gift that God has given us in our relationships, in our marriage, and, and it's something that's important. It's something that is good and wonderful and, and beautiful and amazing. And yet, what have we done? We have made it toxic. It's become more powerful than our connection to God. And it really controls many people today more than anything else. And what do we know when something sexual controls us? It's like jumping on that wave. And every single time, that wave's going to come crashing down. 
And yet, because it has trained our brains to think in those ways, we keep jumping back on those waves over and over and over again. And we keep crashing over and over again too. But maybe for you, that's not it. Maybe for you, sex isn't your God of pleasure. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's Netflix. Uh, maybe it's uh, uh, something else in, in, in your life that has taken a hold, that has become your, your God of, of pleasure. That, that has become the thing that you worship over and over again. You keep going back to that God and asking it permission before you say yes to the God. And by the way, golfers, yes, golf can be your God of pleasure, all right? And I like to play golf, so I'm not making fun of all golfers there. But identify your God of pleasure. Here's the second thing. This is huge. Change your mind. We have to get to this place of changing our mind. I want you to do me a favor. Uh, whatever you do right now, do not, okay, do not think about snakes. All right? Seriously. Hey, this isn't funny. I'm kidding. Do not think about snakes. Whatever you do, do not think about snakes. Do not think about the little black snakes that are probably around in the mulch here, around the journey. Uh, don't think about the little um, garter snakes, which are the Virginia State snake, if you didn't know that, that are in your potted plants at home and around your house or your townhouse or your apartment. Don't think about those. Don't think about the most venomous snake in our area, which is the eastern diamondback rattlesnake. Okay, it gets about you know, 10 pounds, maybe about, I don't know, six, seven feet long and I think some of them are like that big around. Don't, don't think about those at all. Whatever you do, here's, here's the deal. Do not think about snakes, okay? Got a question for you. How many of you right now are thinking about snakes? Raise your hand. Oh, that's pretty good. Only about three of you. I'm impressed. The rest of you must be golfers and you're still mad about what I said earlier. Yeah. All right. I know most of you lied right there. So you're in church. Just don't forget about that. But... Um, <laughs> Our minds right now, we're thinking about snakes, right? All right, do me another favor. I want you to think about your grandmother's apple pie. Remember that? And she'd slice up some actual apples. Maybe back in the day, they had apples there on property that they owned. And she'd slice them up, and she'd do the little mixture, and she'd put it in the pan, and you'd watch her do that, and then she'd put it in the oven. You could smell it kind of wafting the house and it'd be done and she'd pull it out and put it on the, the counter and you, you'd walk over there ah, just to catch that smell of the apple pie and, and then she'd go get a bowl and she'd bring it over and she'd cut a piece of that apple pie and she'd put it in that bowl and then she'd go to the freezer oh she'd go to the freezer she'd open up the freezer and get some uh, vanilla bean ice cream right she'd take a big old scoop of that put it on that that apple pie and you could watch as that ice cream melted on that warm apple pie. And then you grab a spoon or a fork and, and you grab a little bit of that ice cream that was nice and cool and you mix it in with a little bit of that warm apple pie and you take a, take a big old bite of that. You taste that right now? Like some of you are like, I'm gonna leave this place and I'm gonna get on the plane or I'm gonna drive straight to grandma's house and I'm gonna have her make that. I don't care what she says, I'm gonna make her make me some apple pie because we can remember the taste, the smells of the apple pie question for you. How many right now are thinking about snakes? <laughs> Probably not, are you? And the reason's pretty simple. We put something else in place of that thing that was toxic, that thing that scares us, that thing that we don't want anything to do with. We put something good in place of it. 
so often our minds and bodies are consumed by seeking out these gods of pleasure. And we go to these gods of pleasure looking for comfort, looking for peace, looking for maybe love. And we go to these places because we're lonely, because we feel rejected, because we're angry, maybe like the Israelites, because we're bored. And these gods of pleasure began to consume us. And so you know what we need to do? We've got to replace those gods of pleasure in our life with the God of pleasure. But then you may be asking the question, how do I do this? What does this look like? How do I change my mind? Well, I'm going to go back to Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In week one of the series, I said we have a choice to make. We've got to choose between these little g gods in our life and the big g god or... Or what we're going to do, we're just going to end up doing what we've talked about today. We're just going to end up trading the God of pleasure for these, these little gods of pleasure in our life. But how do we change that? How do we keep that from happening? What's what we, Paul writes here in Romans? We've got to let ourselves be transformed. We've got to be transformed into this new person. We've got to change our minds. And how do we do that? Well, it's really about how do we connect with God. Well, how do we do connections with God? How do we begin to change our mind? How do we begin to put something good back in the place of these things that have become toxic? Well, a few things that I would mention to you is showing up here on a Sunday morning. I mean, this is a time we come together. We celebrate who God is. We celebrate what Jesus has done to our, in our lives and how the Spirit's moving. This is why we come here. And, and maybe for a few moments, we can refocus our thoughts and our minds. But that's just one part of it. Maybe for us, it's also prayer. Uh, that we're spending time asking God to kind of help us through this. Like, hey, God, I keep jumping on these waves over and over and over again. They keep crashing. Can you help me? Can you guide me? Can you show me what I, what I need to do? And, and prayer is a great way for us to make sure that we are doing this in our life. Groups. Uh, we, we, we talk about our groups here, and our neighborhood groups are going really, really well. And if you have not jumped in the one, man, we challenge you to jump in the one still. Uh, because I think too often what we do is we do this alone. And we need to do this with other people. And groups are a great way to begin to work on our gods of pleasure, to, to stay off of those waves when we've got other people supporting us. Uh, something else I would uh, say to you is spending time in Scripture, journaling together, reading the Bible, journaling about what you're reading, maybe journaling your prayers, another great way to connect with God. And then let me jump out of the church answers, okay? These are like Sunday school church answers we would give. Here's probably the biggest thing you can do. Get off your phone. Have you ever watched when you stop at a stoplight and looked in the cars around you? When you leave today, if you get stopped at a stoplight, look around. Almost every single person, the first thing they do is pull out their phone. Now, why would we do that? It's because that has become our God of pleasure, right? It is the thing. I'm, I'm guilty of this too. It's the thing we go to. It's the thing that makes us feel connected. It gets rid of the loneliness. It, it makes us feel like people like us and we'll put things that aren't even true about ourselves and show these incredible pictures of how great our life is. And people will say, yep, this is wonderful. You've got a great life. And internally, man, we're struggling. We're, there's dark places and we're hurting. We go to our phone because we're addicted to them, honestly. 
So here's my challenge for us. What if we put our phone away just a, a, a little bit every day? If you're like me, you probably get a weekly report of how you spend your, your time on your phone. And if you're like me, sometimes you see that, you're like, oh, that's not very good. And we need to change that. We can do that. What if we take something, and the phone is good, okay, but it can become toxic. What if we set it aside and, and we spend a few more moments with God every day? I tell you what would happen. Our minds would begin to be changed. We would become different people. We'd be transformed by God more so than we are now. And so maybe this is something else we can do. There are many other ways and other things you can do. Maybe for you, there's a different way you connect, going out in nature or uh, singing or whatever. Choose whatever that is. Do whatever it is that you can do to fully connect with God and to change who you are. It begins by changing your mind. They say it takes about 30 days to break habits. And maybe for us, we need to break the habits of our gods of pleasure for 30 days. So those all the synapses and chemicals that are so intertwined in our, our mind right now will begin to break apart. And so in its place, we can put God. Change your minds. Number three, give your God over to God. Uh, real quick, this is uh, maybe, maybe you're in a place right now where you have not fully given yourself to God. Um, and for you, this is a big part of your spiritual journey is, is taking that step of baptism. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Where you say, hey, I've had these guys a pleasure. They are ruling my life. I need to change that. I need to be different. Um, I need to give my, my life over to God. And we would love to have that conversation with you. There's a QR code in the seat in front of you. You can take a picture of that. And on the link tree that pops up, there's a connection card. Fill that out. Say, hey, I want information about baptism. Uh, fill out the paper connection card if you're here and you like paper. And you can take it out to our guest tent. And they would love to have a conversation with you or kind of talk to you a little bit, and, and we'll sit down. We'll, we'll have that conversation because baptism is such an important, powerful step that we can take to show that we are being transformed. And so maybe that's where you are today, and you need to give your God over to God. But then the last thing I would say is take the initiative. Um, here at The Journey, we believe that Jesus holds all the answers to the brokenness that is in our lives that Jesus is the answer to helping us rid ourselves of the gods of pleasure that we have. But here at The Journey, we also believe sometimes those gods of pleasure can be so tight that we need a professional to walk alongside us too to help us. We talk about counseling here a lot at The Journey, and maybe some of you are here and you get sick of hearing about it. Um, and that's okay because that means you probably need counseling if you feel that way. Um, because it's such an important thing. We, we really believe this. And I've talked a lot about uh, counseling for uh, my family and how we've all gone through it. Um, so you know, when I've done counseling, it has always been with my, my wife, Kara. And uh, it's been marriage checkups that we've done, and it has been uh, helping kind of you know, her deal with some stuff that's happened when she was a kid and uh, being there to support her and, and know how to kind of work through that myself. I've never done counseling on my own until this past week, because I began to see, and as talking to Kara, like, I need to do this. Like, I can't keep talking about this on a Sunday morning and talking about how important this is, and I'm not doing it myself. And so this past week, I had my very first counseling appointment on my own. I got another one set up for this next week, and uh, it is a place for me to make sure that I'm in a healthy place, to make sure that I, the gods of pleasure that I might have or, or might not see, that I'm dealing with them in, in healthy ways. And so I just started that this past week, and uh, let me just tell you, I have now shared that with hundreds of people today. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I also share that because I know there are a lot of dudes in this church who do not want to take the step of counseling because you're too strong, uh, you're too manly, you got too much stuff going on in your life, you're too male to take that step. Can I be blunt with you? Now, please listen to me, ladies. Do not be elbowing that dude right now if he's with you. It's not going to work, okay? Um, Guys, the reason your marriage might be broken is because of you. The reason you have a messy relationship with your kids is all because of you. The reason you feel so much loneliness is not someone else's fault. It's because of you. And so, guys, I'm challenging you this morning to take a step of getting some help. Because here's what we do, guys. You know what we do? We go to so many gods of pleasure to fulfill these holes that we have in our life that we don't want to deal with our stuff, guys. And so what do we do? We go to these gods of pleasure and like, hey, I'm going to jump on that wave over and over again. I know it keeps crashing. I know it's messing up my marriage. I know it's messing up relationships. I know it's messing up my job. But that's okay because it makes me feel better about myself. My pleasure center is lit up, and I'm okay with that. That's not the place you want to be. You don't want to have these toxic gods of pleasure showing up all the time in your life. And so, guys, I challenge you to take this step. That's why I'm sharing this with you about myself today. I don't really want to tell you that. I don't want you to know that your lead pastor is going to counseling. But I also believe if I'm going to tell you how important it is, I'm going to do it myself. Now, guys, I understand that you may be sitting there like, well, I don't want anybody else to know. How about we make a deal? How about it's just you and me, okay? That you and I are the only two people who know about this. We got an amazing relationship with Safe Harbor Christian Counseling, and um, maybe you're thinking, well, it's too expensive. We got a discount if you're part of the journey, and this is for everybody we do. And, and maybe you're like, well, we can't afford it. Well, that's okay. If, if, if the finances are terrible uh, or you're just struggling right now, hey, we'll pay for it for you. We put it in the budget. We have people who actually give money to the journey for that. We love to do that, okay? But don't hesitate today to begin to get the help you need. That's why I'm going to put my uh, email address. There it is right there, chat at thejourneynova.org. Just email me directly. Like, hey, I need a little help. Can you be the person I can count on? You can trust me to do that. Now, ladies, listen to me. Whatever you do, do not email me and say, my husband needs counseling. Can you email him? It does not work that way, and it'll make it way worse. Guys, you got to take the initiative. Oh, and by the way, ladies, you're not perfect either. We love you, but you're not perfect, okay? Take the initiative to do this. We talk about being transformed and changed. We talk about dealing with our gods of pleasure. Out of all, out of all the gods we're talking about in this series, I believe this is the one. This is the one that trips all of us up. This is the hardest one for any of us. Because when we find those gods of pleasure and our pleasure center in our brain is ticking and going off, and we're looking for more and more waves to get on. And every single time they crash to the ground. That's why I want to take us back to Romans 12, 2. Paul says, Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I believe God created pleasure. I believe we're supposed to enjoy life and pleasure and too often in the christian world it's like no you you shouldn't have fun you shouldn't be happy you shouldn't have any pleasure that's not what god intended god is the god of pleasure but sometimes what's good can become toxic 
And what is God's will for us? That our life is good and pleasing and perfect. Which means we got to stop trading in be God of pleasure for our gods of pleasure. Which means we got to change our minds and be transformed by God, by Jesus, and by God's Spirit moving in us. It's not easy. But if we can take those steps, then we can finally get to this place of where God, the God, is the only thing sitting on our throne. Let's pray.